Welcome to the podcast where we get into the real and raw of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. My name is Hannah Gill. I'm a VIAC mom, doula, and birth educator, and I help women discover their options and harness their inner power to have the experiences they desire. I'm here to support you through the ebbs and flows of these transformative years so we can have open and honest conversations about the hard, the messy, and the beautiful parts of motherhood. This is the Ebb and Flow Birth Show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Ebb and Flow Birth Show. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. And today we're going to be talking about a topic I think is really, really important, especially the more I'm learning about it and the more I'm seeing it um, talked about on social media, and that's induction of labor. So from talking to my friends and family and other doulas, I feel like everyone and their sister is getting induced. And all of my clients that I've supported so far in births have been induced, both for medically necessary reasons and also electively with no medical indication. And in last week's episode, I discussed this a bit with my doula, Julie, in our interview, but I really just wonder why induction rates are so high and just seem to be getting higher. And I I looked it up and in about 1990, the rate of labor induction was only about 9.5%. But as of 2020, this has increased to about 31%. That is a massive increase. And as much as I would like to blame it solely on the ARRIVE trial, which I could do a whole episode on, but other people, there are some other podcasters who have done amazing episodes on the ARRIVE trial, and I'll link to them in the show notes. But I do think there are a lot of contributing factors, whether that be from the ARRIVE trial Um, convenience, fear about certain things like big babies and stillbirth, um, lack of education on when an induction is actually necessary, and lack of proper counseling about induction. So first, I really want to define what induction of labor is because some people may not know or may not really understand it. Um, Induction of labor is the process of starting labor artificially either by using chemical or mechanical means. Um, It's usually done when a baby is past uh, or overdue, as people would say, or like your past your due date, or when there is a medical reason that the mother or baby can't continue with the pregnancy. And I do want to mention as a side note, induction of labor is different than augmentation of labor. So augmentation is when labor starts spontaneously, but then... um, Usually Pitocin is used to stimulate the uterus more to cause stronger and more frequent contractions. So that can be done when your labor starts spontaneously, um, but for some reason it needs to be picked up and Pitocin can be used. But induction of labor is starting labor artificially using um, either Pitocin or a mechanical form of induction. And if you really want to get technical, even more quote unquote natural forms of getting labor started can be considered forms of induction. So these can include sex, nipple stimulation, curb walking, eating certain foods, drinking castor oil, or doing chiropractic care, acupuncture um, to hopefully induce labor. And 
People that are more naturally minded and proponents of 100% physiological birth would argue that even those more natural methods are even too much and that you should just wait until your body and baby are ready on their own. And I truly think that if your body and your baby are not ready to go into labor, a lot of things that you're going to try aren't going to help. So they could also be more counterproductive because if you're stressing your body out and stressing about trying to make yourself go into labor, that stress could prevent labor from happening. So like I said, like there's a ton of things you can do that are considered more natural. And some of these may work if your body's ready. Some of them may not work. You'll, you'll never really know like what exactly puts you into labor. But um, like I said, some of these can be even be considered forms of induction, even though they are considered more natural. And the effectiveness can really vary um, for the more natural methods. So really, I'm I'm also a firm believer that what gets the baby in gets the baby out. So I think um, sex and oxytocin stimulation and um, prostaglandins from semen are probably your best bet for um, if you're wanting to try a more natural method. And this can include nipple stimulation too. So um, this can be either like intimate um, nipple stimulation or using a pump. Um, those are probably the best two that I've heard of. And then there's also castor oil, which some people <clears throat> will do uh, to hopefully like get their uterus to start doing um, doing more frequent contractions. I have heard varying opinions about it um, because it can overstimulate the uterus a little bit. I've heard varying reports of um, it causing diarrhea as well, and just really overstimulation of the uterus and the bowels and the entire system. So I've heard some people think it's great. Some people think it was awful. Um, so that is one that's hit or miss. Sometimes it can just cause an irritable, irritated uterus and, and nothing more than that. And then some GI upset. So take that with a grain of salt. Everyone has differing opinions on castor oil. I have actually heard as well that because it can like overstimulate or irritate the uterus that a lot of people don't recommend it for a VBAC um, because your uterus has that scar. So any sort of like irritation or hyperstimulation to the uterus could potentially impact uterine rupture. I do not have any data or stats on this. This is just things I've heard from other women that have tried it or have thought about trying it for a VBAC. All right, let's talk about potential pros of induction. One of the main benefits of induction is that it may help alleviate or prevent certain complications such as preeclampsia, uncontrolled gestational diabetes, stillbirth, cholestasis, etc. And I would consider these medically indicated reasons for induction versus uh, more elective inductions. The more convenient or elective reasons for induction would be scheduling your birth around certain events or childcare avail availability. Um, if you have a suspected big baby or just because you're tired and uncomfortable at the end of pregnancy. And these would be reasons I would consider an elective induction because there isn't necessarily a medical reason like you and your baby are safe and healthy, but you may want to schedule for these various reasons. But just like any intervention, uh, induction has its downsides. One major disadvantage is that it can potentially lead to a longer and more painful labor. 
specifically with uses of Pitocin. And this is because the body or the baby may not be fully ready to go into labor, but you're practically forcing it to do so by inducing. Now, if your body is ready and you're showing signs of labor, but it hasn't started yet, maybe you're 41, 42-ish weeks um, and like your baby's going to come any time, induction may be very smooth and may not have a lot of complications or a lot of pain because your body is more likely going to be ready that, at that point. That is one reason why looking at your bishop score, so how ready your body is for induction, and there are varying factors like your cervical positioning, your cervical effacement and dilation, uh, and those types of things to consider how ready your body could potentially be for induction to make it go smoothly. How do I have a VBAC? This is a question I get asked a lot. Women will message me and say, I know I want to have a VBAC, but I have no idea how to prepare or how to find the resources. Well, that's exactly why I created my first steps to VBAC guide. It's called Preparing for a VBAC, Your First Three Steps to an Empowered Birth Experience. This is the guide you need if you're thinking, I don't know how to go about finding a supportive provider, or I'm not sure how to understand or process my C-section experience. If you have had questions about these things and you're wondering if you're on the right track, then you need to download this guide. I want you to go to ebbandflowbirthco.com forward slash first steps, all one word, F-I-R-S-T-S-T-E-P-S, or click the link where you're listening to this episode now. I know that getting started with feedback prep and finding support is something a lot of women are struggling with. And I want you to have a solid foundation for your VBAC prep journey because it doesn't have to be such a stressful process. So again, go to ebbandflowbirthco.com forward slash first steps to grab this free guide today. But another disadvantage is that induction may also increase the use of other interventions during labor, such as epidurals, forceps, or vacuum, um, or C-section due to fetal heart rate issues that could be caused from overstimulation of the uterus and the the really strong um, squeezing of the uterus during contractions that could potentially affect the baby. Most often, Pitocin is going to be the drug used for induction or augmentation with or without mechanical dilation. I want to stress that Pitocin is not the same as naturally occurring hormone oxytocin. It's the same chemical structure, but it does not exact or it does not act the same way in the body. In physiological labor, there's a positive feedback loop for hormones. Oxytocin will cause your uterus to contract, which then puts pressure on the cervix to dilate, and that stimulates the release of prostaglandins, which then triggers more oxytocin production. Throughout a physiological labor as well, the concentration of oxytocin may change based on the stage of labor and how the body is reacting to the feedback loop. And I may end up doing a whole episode on the hormones of birth and how they work in the body. It's a little bit more um, complex and a little bit more in-depth, but if this is something you would like to hear, let me know and I can do an episode on it. But Pitocin is a synthetic form of oxytocin. It is the same chemical structure, but it's synthetic and does not react exactly the same way in the body, 
which can make contractions longer, harder, and closer together. And it's also known to hyperstimulate the uterus. There is a great article on the difference between oxytocin and pitocin on uh, the Mama Stay Fit website, and I'll link to that in in the show notes. One major point that I want to make about pitocin is that the FDA advises against it for elective or non-medical inductions. There is a black box warning if you go to the FDA's website and look at the information on pitocin. There's a box that says important notice. Elective induction of labor is defined as the initiation of labor in a pregnant individual who has no medical indications for induction. Since the available data are inadequate to evaluate the benefits to risk considerations, Pitocin is not indicated for elective induction of labor. But we know that it's often used for elective induction of labor. And as a C-section and VBAC mom, I want to also note that one of the risks of Pitocin is increased risk of uterine rupture, but this is not just for C-section and VBAC moms. This is even for women that have never had a C-section and have no scarring on their uterus. The risk of this is low, but it does happen. So before agreeing to the use of Pitocin, please look at the risks and benefits and consider which risks and benefits are most important to you and what you are comfortable with, especially if your induction is elective. So just consult with your provider and just look at all the risks and benefits and um, see what you're going to be comfortable with moving forward. And I mentioned this briefly before, and I've talked about this in another episode, but I want to briefly mention again, the cascade of interventions. This is the concept that the introduction of one intervention can cause the need for additional interventions. This is a very general example, but for example, say you have an induction of labor with Pitocin and that can cause contractions to be much stronger than spontaneous contractions, which can increase the perceived pain of your labor. This could lead to the desire for an epidural to help relieve that pain. And then an epidural would then limit your movement to the bed and could potentially affect how well you're able to push during the pushing stage of labor. And if you're unable to move around and get yourself and baby into a good position, then maybe your baby is not in the optimal optimal position for birth. And then that could lead to them getting quote unquote stuck and then resulting in the need for a cesarean. This, of course, is a very generalized example. Um, That does not mean that all of those things will happen. Just an example of what could happen. My first birth was actually very similar to this scenario, um, but I was not induced. I'll, I'll mention that. I had spontaneous labor, but I was not mentally and physically prepared for the intensity of my early labor contractions. So I opted for an epidural and then things cascaded from there. Ultimately, you need to know all of your options and make a truly informed decision when deciding whether or not to be induced. And your provider may or may not provide you with all the risks and benefits. Sometimes there's just not time to go over everything in your short prenatal um, appointments. But in addition to having counseling from your provider, whether that be your OBGYN, midwife, whoever, do your own research as well and, and take that responsibility into your own hands because this is your health and your baby's health. But I will mention some questions and factors to consider when trying to decide whether or not induction is right for you. So here are just a few questions you could ask your provider. What are the medical reasons or indications for inducing labor in my specific case? And are there any alternatives we can consider? 
Can you explain the benefits and potential risks associated with labor induction specific to my situation? So everyone's situation is going to vary. What methods or procedures for labor induction might be suitable for me and how do they work? So like I said, there's chemical induction via Pitocin um, or Cytotec or Cervidil. And then there's also like mechanical means using a Foley bulb or a Cook's catheter. Are there any maternal or fetal conditions that could influence the decision to induce labor? And how does that affect my choice? What is the likelihood of success with labor induction in my situation? So this is where I talked about like the Bishop score in your specific uh, scenario. So this is something really important to ask because say you are trying to induce at 37 weeks with no dilation, no effacement, that's going to be much different more than likely than if you're 41 plus weeks with four centimeters dilation and 90% effacement. So these are the things you need to consider with the likelihood of success. What is the impact of labor induction on the experience of childbirth and the overall birthing process? Can you discuss the potential effects of labor induction on the health and well-being of my baby? There are also some potential induction red flags. Um, so if your provider is bringing up induction, if you hear any of these things from them, um, it could be a sign that maybe they're not inducing for the right reasons or they're not um, taking your input or your situation into full consideration. So some red flags are your provider wants to induce based only on baby's potential large size. So if they're suspecting a big baby, that's a reason they want to induce. That's a red flag. Your provider wants to induce you as soon as you pass 40 weeks because you are quote unquote overdue. We know that ACOG recommends anywhere between 37 and 42 weeks as being a normal range for when labor could start. Some women even go past 42 weeks. Your provider wants to induce around major holidays or vacations. This is simply out of convenience, not medical necessity. Your provider wants to induce you automatically at 39 weeks based on the ARRIVE trial. Again, I will link to some episodes about the ARRIVE trial. Your provider does not provide resources or evidence for what they are telling you when asked. So say they want to induce you for some reason and they state this risk or this concern and you ask, well, can you provide me with the resources or evidence on that and how it's like applies to my situation? And if they just say something like, oh, well, I just know this or whatever, they're excuse may be, if they are not providing those resources when asked, that's a red flag because they may not be practicing the most up-to-date information. So we know that new research takes a long time to be implemented into medical practice. So it could take 20 plus years um, for them to start applying new research to their actual practice. So you can ask for that evidence. And then if your provider does not educate you on different induction options, so if they state that there's only one way to induce them and that's how they're going to do it, but they don't educate you on the different options, even if they're not their preferred method, that's a red flag. Induction is something I have become much more interested in and educated on since my first birth. I was actually scheduled for an induction myself with my first due to him measuring on the larger side, but thankfully I went into labor spontaneously before my scheduled induction. 
I did get a membrane sweep. So one of those more quote unquote natural forms of induction. And I think that's the reason my labor did end up starting so intensely and really difficult. But seeing and hearing of so many women being induced right now, and maybe it's just because I'm more aware of it, but maybe it's been happening for a long time with the increasing rates, but it's actually pretty shocking. And like I mentioned, induction is definitely necessary in certain medical situations, but the amount of elective and just because inductions happening just seems crazy to me. And I, I highly doubt that all of these women are truly being counseled about the potential risks and side effects of induction. So if you were induced for your labor, I would love to hear how your hear how yours went. Was it really hard? Was it smooth sailing? Would you change anything or would you be induced again? So message me over on Instagram and let me know how your experience with induction was because I know a lot of women have wonderful induction experiences. A lot of women have horrible induction experiences. So please let me know over on Instagram because this is something I really enjoy talking about. So that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I would also really appreciate you sharing it and tagging me or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Word of mouth, ratings, and reviews are are the best way for you to support me in the show. So thank you again for tuning in to another episode. And until next week, keep flowing. You just finished another episode of the Ebb and Flow Birth Show. For more, head over to ebbandflowbirthco.com or on Instagram at ebbandflowbirthco. As a reminder, this podcast is provided to you for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice. Until next time, bye friends. Bye friends.